0: everyone! Today on What's My Frame, I'm joined by casting legend Pat McCorkle. With strong roots in theater and directing, a flair for the unexpected, and tireless perseverance, Pat has left her mark on casting. Raised in central New Jersey, Pat began working in theater during high school. After graduating from Douglas College, she went on to NYU to earn a graduate degree in theater education with a focus on directing. She was invited by Alan Wesser to join New York's legendary Broadway theater, The Circle in the Square. Pat found herself drawn to casting, and the rest, as they say, well, it's history. She moved on to TCG, a nonprofit profit casting clearinghouse for theaters around the country. During her tenure there, she ran the National Student Auditions. She began working with every major regional theater in the United States and Canada, forging relationships and pipelines to new talent, which continues to this day, and established her as a new force on the national theater scene. With Pat's influence in theater firmly established, she branched out into film and television, where she quickly established her company, McCorkle Casting, as a force to be reckoned with there as well. Her eye for spotting young talent continues, discovering unknown actors who are future household names. Pat's credits include Year by the Sea, The Thomas Crown Affair, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Into the Rainbow, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, A Few Good Men, and California Cation, to just name a few. Pat's resume includes over 100 Broadway and off-Broadway credits, as well as over 100 film and television productions. Please join me in welcoming a true icon and living legend of the casting world, Pat McCorkle, to the show. Hey Pat, thank you so much for joining us on What's My Frame? Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Can you start us off with your journey into the industry and casting, please? Of course. I went
1: to uh, Rutgers undergrad and NYU grad school Uh, focusing on directing. I got an opportunity to work at Circle in the Square uh, as an uh, assistant to the artistic director, Ted Mann. And at that time, Circle in the Square was run a lot like Lincoln Center and Roundabout is today. We had a theater on Broadway, we had theater off Broadway, and we did all kinds of work. And so they hired a gentleman named Roger Sturdivant to come in as an outside casting director and have me assist him and it was just a wonderful opportunity for me. I got to work with Roger on eight Broadway shows right off the top and sort of sidelined me from a directing career, which was very difficult at that time for a woman to do anyway. So I was working on Broadway shows with Roger. I left there and went to TCG, which most everybody knows from um, their magazine and but at that time, they did casting for all the regional theaters throughout the country. So for three years, I worked at TCG, and we I got to know everybody and worked on some amazing plays. Uh, but I decided to leave there and go and partner up with Roger and become an independent casting director. And so Roger and I worked together for two and a half years. And at which point, I decided that I wanted to move forward, and Roger liked doing commercials, so he went back to commercials, which he had done originally.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and um, then I just started working on my own. I was the little engine that could, and I worked a lot with my theater connections, and uh, I made some great connections through Roger. We had already done a couple of feature films at the time, and um, that's how it it all started, and I've been doing that for quite a while now.
0: (laughs) Amazing, and I would love to go back. We were talking the other day before our chat um, about your work with TCG, and... graduate program and how you really shaped what we see today in that regard. So could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: It's a wonderful uh, transition. When I was at TCG, we had a thing called the National Student Auditions and what it was was a a chance for all the graduating students to audition for all the regional theaters because TCG did the regional theaters. Mm -hmm. So we would travel the country and audition in, in cities all over the country. Uh, no, we had a northern route and a southern route. And we would uh, see these students and pick the best 72, and they would go and audition for all the regional theaters that they want, wish to attend in Chicago, the first weekend in May. It's always Mother's Day weekend. And it was a, a fantastic opportunity for these students. And we had people like Jamie Sheridan and Harriet Harris and Harry Groner and Freddie Conroy and Boyd Gaines and all these kind of people came through the system. Uh, and what happened was it got so popular that the theaters would were were be coming and the schools all wanted to be there. So we ha- had to s- set up a line that send your best two. Mm-hmm. And some of the major training institutions resented it. And so they said, well, if that's what you're going to do, we're not going to audition for TCG. We're going to have our own auditions in New York. Mm-hmm. And thus became the showcases. Yeah. And after I left TCG, about three years later, they stopped doing that completely. The TCG did, because everybody was doing showcases. So now what everyone is looking for at the showcases was what we originated at TCG.
0: Now I want to go off of that. You've been nominated for 18 Ardeos awards, which is this incredible feat in and of itself. And you've brought to life countless projects. Having been in so many rooms, both for Broadway and TV film, can you share any story of when you saw a future star walk through your room before they were the star, like how you, you know you spotted that talent um
1: before the world did well probably the most famous one was when i was working on school ties with stanley jaffe and we auditioned five thousand young men and women mostly men all over the country there was always a west coast person working on it um and then uh the final one person we had working it was Lisa Beach who did a fantastic job and uh, the one that I remember very specifically walked through the door and I said this kid's a star and it was a, he was a kid he was going to Harvard was Matt Damon um, and we when we got down to the we did screen tests then and they were like the old-fashioned kind of screen tests. we went to Hollywood and you know kept shooting with you know, all the grips and everything that the kind of traditional way, but you have to remember all these guys were kids.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. um, And I think we auditioned Matt for five different roles in the film before we gave him the role that he ended up playing, which was the villain, which is always the best role anyway. So, (laughs) Um, but that was, that was one that was very clear. Um, Another one that I'm very proud of was one of my very first jobs was I was working on a feature film, <clears throat> The Year of Living Dangerously, with Sigourney Weaver and Mel Gibson, and uh, I was hired to cast the other lead, who was uh, an Asian, and it was he was a, a person was a little person, but he had a to do all the scenes with Mel Gibson and Sigourney, and major, major role. And I also had to find someone who didn't have an accent. And mm-hmm. we did a lot of auditions at that point. What I mean, doesn't have an accent, doesn't have an English, doesn't have an American, doesn't have a British that has a sort of neutral, wonderful accent. And um, I had a very wonderful director and I said, do you ever think about seeing a woman for this role, even though it was written as a man? He said, absolutely. And so I brought in an actress and she booked it and it was Linda Hunt and she won the Oscar. Um, but that was really also due to the fact that I had a director who was willing to, to do that. I've, I've done that any number of times uh, where I've changed a gender, changed an age, changed uh, a race, whatever works for the characters, for whatever works for the role
0: what's your thought process going into those kind of conversations with directors when you are trying to pitch something that's not necessarily on the page? Well, I'm trying to, uh, to
1: help uh, illuminate the script for the director. I, I think a, a good casting director is an artist and uh, we're working with the director and the writer to illuminate their script as best we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And if there's some change, let's just look at it, give it a shot. And if they're willing to make that change, if they're willing to even look at that, um, it's, it gets very exciting. And that's where you're really part of the creative process. Um, I did a film called Violets Are Blue with Sissy Spacek, and it was about a, a journalist, a photojournalist who comes home uh, and she's given a lot of grief because she's not married. Mm-hmm. And her sister is married. And I said to the director, uh wouldn't it be more interesting if the sister were the younger sister as opposed to the older sister and he said yeah that's that's a really interesting point of view on it and we ended up doing that when i worked on a few good men and we were looking for the role of Jessup for Broadway this is prior to the film um we saw a lot of gen- gentlemen for wonderful wonderful actors for Jessup but it wasn't landing in what Aaron Sorkin and Don Scardino wanted to do with the script. So I suggested going to a younger Jessup as opposed to an older Jessup, and that's how we ended up casting Steve Lang. But you have to have a director who's willing to work with you if you have these ideas.
0: I think I speak for all actors when I say thank you for advocating um, for us and further creating those opportunities for maybe not the first instinct of what they created, but that's an amazing gift that you've you've given those actors.
1: Well, I appreciate that, um, but it's just trying to illuminate the story in the best possible way. Yeah. And sometimes the original thought isn't quite there. Um, uh, when I did Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is obviously a very male film, <laughs> yes. um, I was the one that suggested that the second to Jeremy Irons' character, of Simon, be a woman. And John McTiernan thought that was an interesting idea. So we cast a woman in that role. Amazing. Um, yeah, it was, it was a different way just to make, make it a little more interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, going off of that, I would love to talk about what is your favorite part of your job? or the part that you get the most excited about when starting a new project?
1: I love being part of the creative team and really being invested in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, I love trying to get this this vision together and I love working with the actors. I love um, seeing how the pieces fit together. That's the most fun, it's working with the actors and when you find a wonderful young actor who knocks it out of the park, it's it's very exciting. It's, it's that's the most exciting thing for me, I think. Just finding the new people and making everyone happy and, and telling a better story because of it. I mean, I'll give you another example we had many, many years ago, is I did a, a TV movie with uh, W.H. Macy called The Wool Cap. And they gave it to me and it's, uh, Bill's character was a mute, and he ran this. uh, He was the super in this apartment, and the other lead was a ten-year-old. He's a power. He's a really force to 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 reckon with, and I knew that whoever played opposite him had to be terrific but it was a 10 year old girl. So we literally looked all over the country in a very short amount of time. I mean, the entire country and had auditions all over the place. And I went out to Los Angeles and did my work out there as well as the New York side and found a wonderful young girl who had just moved from Chicago to Los Angeles and she booked it. And her name is Kiki Palmer. And she was 10 years old.
0: Amazing. I don't know how you all can see but there is there is that untangible x factor that some actors just have um it's the, the, the perfect um, but it's the perfect combination of of yeah. the
1: role as well yes i mean because there's times that you'll see a person and you go wow that he is extraordinary or she is extraordinary or they are extraordinary or what whatever you find and you just wait for that role to come up for them um i'll give you an example is when i met paul giamatti i went this guy is incredible but i never found the role for him Mm. i had seen him and i knew he was going to be a star i just never had the right role for him yeah. and, result, and sometimes you you just Ooh, I wish it were me you know I, I would <laughs> like to be the one that to lock that in um, but it's you don't always have that opportunity so it's it's just the luck of the draw with that as
0: well. Yeah now you cast for Californication and The L Word both incredibly rich layered very well-known shows actors can often get in their head and in their own way at times going in for popular shows um, because they have this idea in their mind of what they're they're supposed to be doing. Um, you also still actively teach and work with actors. Do you have any advice for actors going in the room on popular or beloved shows how to make it their own and find that balance while still train, staying true to what they have the idea in their mind? Well, I think you have to...
1: You have to know what the show is like, what kind of actors they're they're using,
0: mm-hmm. but in
1: addition, and more importantly, really every actor is unique, every single actor is unique, and you will you need to bring what you bring to it. how will you uh, inhabit a role in that world? what can you bring to it that's that's special? Um, you can't second-guess anyone. What you can't do is watch through a third eye, as I say, what I think or what the director thinks or what the writers think. You have to say, this is the way I would play that role on your show. Mm -hmm. Um, And just have fun and go in and, and do it. Don't try to be someone else. There's a wonderful young actor named Brandon Flynn, who was one of my students. And I remember in class, he was in class about, um, it was about two classes or three classes. And he was sort of sitting and he is a sensational actor and sensational human being, but he was sitting there being kind of, I don't know, lovely or such. And I just said to Brandon, you are not James Franco, you are Brandon Flynn. And he said, oh yeah, okay. And he's done very well since then, you know. It's, I mean, I just said it to him and he was like, oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> like, I called him out on them, I guess, in a funny way, but uh, that's, actors try to be someone else other than themselves. Everyone's unique.
0: I think one of the big struggles for actors is we are, like you're saying, we're trying to utilize that third eye, which we don't have access to. So when coming in for co-stars or for projects that we know very little about beyond the IMDb Pro research, what advice do you give to your students coming in? Um, to like serve the story, but not, not do too much. Well,
1: I think they have to understand the tone of, of the piece that they're coming in for, Is if they can. Sometimes you can't, sometimes the script is not available, but you know, know who the writers are, know who the director is, have an idea of what the material is. There's a reason you were called to come in. Yeah. I mean, the casting directors asked you to come in. You have to know that every time you, anyone comes into a casting director, we're hoping you knock it out of the park. Mm-hmm. 'Cause it makes us look better, among other things. But more importantly, it gets the project done. Um, so I just tell them to 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 say how they would play the role. And yeah. that really is it. And you can't you can't second guess what how it's all going to come out. You just have to do your job. And when you train as an actor, wherever you train, whether you train at university or just in classes or whether you have an in- instinct for it or whatever. You have to do what you do. You can't uh, try to guess what anyone else wants you to to think. It's it's impossible. Because then there's a third party. You are the third party. You're watching yourself, you're you're not invested in the material because you might bring something to the table nowhere even thought of. Yeah, and yeah. I've had that happen where I said, Oh, it'd be interesting if it were this way. Something that the actor brings into the room. Yeah. Or, or if you're even doing a, a, a TV series, it might be something that they can think about for down the line, you know, in a future episode. Wouldn't it be interesting if, you know, this mm-hmm. happens? So.
0: Yeah. Now, nothing will ever replace being in the room, but I feel like self-tapes will likely become even more popular in New Hollywood as we reopen, and they are a special skill in and of themselves. Um, in your experience, what are the key elements for a strong and memorable self-tape?
1: Well, I think an actor has to first w- experiment with the m- with the equipment mm. and get good equipment. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be expensive. It's not that expensive. But you make sure you have a good mic and your lighting is good and you have a good neutral place to to shoot it and don't shoot it in your kitchen with the microwave blinking behind you or whatever, and find a nice, even place and work work on it. I think uh, you're right about that. I think self-tapes are are good. I actually, we've been using tapes for a while. And the reason I like using them, and I'm old enough to have been in the business before that was even possible, is that if someone is in a different part of the country, Mm -hmm. they can uh, submit themselves for a role. Otherwise they wouldn't be available to because they weren't able to come in. So they can be seen from a different part of the country. And frequently we have situations these days, because of the way the globe is these days, you've got a writer in London, you've got the director in Seattle, you're doing the show in in LA or New York or or whatever, or I will have a good Chicago actor. So the idea of the tapes is actually, opens up a whole branch of people that you can otherwise wouldn't have Mm -hmm. access to. And that's for theater as well as film and television. But just spend a little money on learning how to make it work. Since we all know now, it's going to be part of the vocabulary. You can get a camera that's not that expensive. Just check out the equipment. I also really like the Zoom uh, situation because... You do have access, even though it's two dimensional, not three dimensional as a live audition would be. You get a chance to know who the character is, the actor is, and and you can make adjustments. and I think it's it's really going to change things. Um, in in terms of just opening up the world, I mean, I've been teaching classes. I have a class right now. I'm teaching, and I have a student in Amsterdam and a student in Greece in my class. And at Rutgers, when I was there in the spring, I had a student at, in Paris. And I had, at UConn, I had a student in Tokyo. So it's kind of uh, very exciting because it, it really opens
0: everything up. Yeah. It does make it more of a, a community, uh, if you will, and, and bringing us all a little bit closer together.
1: It, it does. And it gives you some more access to, to new auditions that you would just be out of the loop, but just make sure you've got the right equipment. And it's, again, it's, it's an investment. that's worthwhile
0: for sure. Absolutely. Especially as much as we're going to be needing to call on that equipment going forward. And then I would love to talk a little bit about your incredible body of work casting over a hundred Broadway and off Broadway shows. Could you give us a brief overview of the vast difference in the casting process for theater versus TV and film?
1: Well, they, they're, they're different medias. Um, the actors' process is is the same mm-hmm. okay, in terms of creating a character and projecting a character. It's a matter of the theater being a three-dimensional project and it has a beginning, middle, and end and it goes straight through. Where in film and television, it's a two-dimensional way of working. Uh, and it also the way that, you, that the actor has to work; it has to be broken up in different situations because you know, really, so much of it is depending upon location and availability of actors and and whatever. So, it's, it's it has different kind of priorities. I just watch everything I can watch, either stage wise or and regionally, is that you get to see um, actors from all over the country. I mean. Santino Fontana, who's uh, won the Tony last year. And I knew, Tino as a student at the Guthrie. And I, he was my reader for a while when he first came to New York.
0: Um,
1: So you see these people when they're out there and then they come into New York and they happen to, you know, become famous, uh, doing something. But the core way of an actor working is the same.
0: For young actors listening coming out of a drama program in the next year or two, what advice would you have for them before making that jump from training to working in the the new Hollywood?
1: Well, I think it's really good to to get a sense of uh, what you want to do. I would suggest trying to find a gig uh, maybe outside of the big city. There's lots of summer uh, work available, some of the theaters, so you can start making connections. Mm -hmm and you just sort of get to know what the playing area is. If in fact you want to move to one of the, the bigger cities, you want to move to LA or New York, make sure that you're comfortable in the city. Make sure that you know that the living environment is going to be suitable for you. Or you know, do you want to live in Manhattan or could you live outside of Manhattan? Uh, or in the same in LA, where in LA do you want to live? Do you, do you want to make yourself um, available to go to all the auditions? You just want to make sure you, before you move there that you are financially secure and mm-hmm. that you yeah. have a, a, a good, comfortable living situation, even if it's with three other young actors who've just come out of the same training program or whatever yes. whatever suits you. but I think also it's it's good to to do some of this summer. Uh, programs because you'll meet people and uh, start to network Um, so I think it's going to depend on each person what their their needs are but to just come to New York or go to LA without some sort of support system or a situation where you know that you'll be comfortable living is tricky because going into the business is hard enough as it is but you at least want to be comfortable Absolutely. To to your situation.
0: With a resume as impressive as yours, do you still have a challenge or dream project you wish to take on in the future?
1: You know, that's a really interesting question. I've had so many really interesting projects. To me, the most interesting projects are the ones that are going to, this sounds pretentious and I don't mean it to at all, but the ones that are going to have profound effect on people. Um, and sometimes it's not the biggest project, sometimes it's a small project, but it's going to educate people in a, in an entertaining way so that you can find out how the world can be improved, uh, through what education you've given them. For example, I did a play with Ricardo Kahn and it, I've done it several times called Fly. And it's about the Tuskegee Airmen. And it was originally written to be done in schools. And then we expanded it so that it was done in several theaters and was done off Broadway. But it was about the Tuskegee Airmen. And uh, Rick wrote it when, in 2007 when the Tuskegee Airmen were, were awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. And so this wasn't to honor that uh, accomplishment. And I'm very proud of that project. And it was just a little project, but I just love the fact that it was such a new and interesting idea, and we brought that into all uh, high schools. And it was just done with, ultimately, it was done with seven actors. Oh. So it was just a little, little project, but it was just, just absolutely wonderful.
0: Yeah. You're totally right. Some of, sometimes the smallest ones, Mm-hmm. Are the most meaningful, and there's that sense of family that's very lasting. Like a smaller,
1: smaller, I have one that's out now. As soon as they can go out again, called "Turning 15: March to Selma." It's about a 15-year-old girl, young black girl, who marched to Selma, and her experiences, and it's it's being done all over the country, and it's to um, show young people what happened and also how important voting is. A terrific project and it's just is again a school project yeah. you know so it doesn't have to be the biggest show in the world the biggest show in the world is fun i, I have no objection to, yeah. to doing that i but
0: but sometimes it's the smaller ones that are very focused that are, yeah. are the most meaningful absolutely and that's something with such an important and timely message as well exactly exactly, yeah. exactly. And it can really influence
1: people and
0: you know. I think that's like what we were talking about you know finding that actor but you know finding also not just the actor's talent but the part for them and I think sometimes that makes the project that much more special if it just it's presented to the world at the right exact moment. Exactly right, exactly right. Now you're very active in union service even having served on the CSA national board in the past First off, thank you, because I think a lot of actors don't realize that all of those union service roles that are held by actual members are volunteer, and you guys are sitting in those rooms for countless hours working to get us a livable wage, Um, and we wouldn't have that without you guys. So thank you for that, first of all. And then can you share a little bit about your involvement with CSA and what drew you to using your voice in those rooms?
1: Well, the most important thing about CSA is that it brought all the casting directors together. And we can support each other and talk about issues and how we can present a unified front, and I mean that in a good way, Mm -hmm. about um, uh, what's the working conditions of the actors, the working conditions for us, uh, what the union demands are and how we can negotiate that. This is a this timing is a a prime example. Is there's a CSA meeting on Tuesday night to talk about the negotiations we've been having with equity about how to reopen the theaters Mm -hmm. and what is required of us and what is required of our theaters, and so we're all on the same page. the 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 tricky part for casting directors is the fact that in any project, there's only going to be one or two casting directors, oh. where you compare it to how many actors are involved and how many producers are involved and how many Ayatsi people are involved and, you know, going on and on. And it's only one or two. So having uh, the ability to talk to each other and yeah. to trade information and just to find out what is going on it is very helpful so that we're not just competitors at each other's throats we're really not anyway but that we can easily pick up the phone and call and the other thing that's really good is is you know csa is all over the country and it's wonderful that if i have a project in dallas i can check on the csa website and find out who are the csa casting directors in dallas and the point being is that there is um a certain responsibility uh, of, of uh, qualifications in order to get into CSA so that you know you're calling someone who's qualified and that you has the same agendas, the same rules that you have. Um, so it, it, it's been very, very useful and it. You can just pick up the phone and say, you know, I, I don't know if this is quite right. My producers asked me to do this. What was your experience? And We see each other in meetings and we attend the same, well, right now they're webinars (laughs) or whatever, (laughs) and uh, to discuss all kinds of issues. We work with equity, we work with the producers. And so it's just provided a a wonderful, um, opened communication
0: between us. I think that the sister unions all have a very positive outlook for the future of the industry you're heavily involved in amplifying the voices of actors of color and the LGBTQ community and special needs. How can we as an industry do more to support those groups? And for those actors that are looking for resources, do you have any suggestions of workshops or some of the the networks even have diversity programming? Right. Um, I, I think that
1: we're telling stories and we're making up stories and telling them, and I think we have to be open to. what is, what is the most informative way of telling the story, mm-hmm. and whether you know, and to look at the world we're in. I think it's very important to reflect the world we're in. So I just look for the best qualified people, no matter uh, what it is. Uh, was years ago before a lot of this came to- to play, there was a wonderful, wonderful actor I knew named Mark Hammer from the Arena Stage. And he had done LeBlanc for me at the Huntington Theater and I knew him from Arena and he had come to New York and he had a very serious diabetes issue and was confined to a wheelchair ultimately, but a brilliant actor. So I was doing a show called Three Pounds and I got Mark on the show as a doctor. Certainly there's no reason a doctor can't be in a wheelchair. And but the ironic one that I did, and which he was absolutely magnificent, and I did it at the George Street Playhouse in New Brunswick, is I had him do the two-character play A Walk in the Woods. Now, here's a guy in a wheelchair, and we're doing a play about Walk in the Woods, but it was about the negotiation between the Russians and the Americans, and it was really a a dense play that needed very accomplished actors. And Mark fit every category, except he was not on two legs he was in a chair, but it didn't matter. And we did it. And the set was designed and you didn't, you really forgot about it in three minutes, you know? Yeah. So, because his performance was so magnificent, that, it was, it was worth it. So you just try to tell the story the best way you can. And race or age or physical uh, limitations on anything are
0: not, are not important. I mean, if they're telling the right story. For Walk in the Woods, did you find, since the creative team was not looking at any, you know, preconceived specs, did you find that the audience, like the reviewers, that they just went along with what you all created, or was just went it?
1: went along with it because his performance was so good. Yeah. Because it is, it is a, a play about conversation between these, these two people. And so, and Marcus was such a brilliant, brilliant actor that that was the most important thing.
0: Amazing. So the audience
1: just went along with it and didn't think anything of it.
0: Yeah, I hope that that is something that as the industry evolves, with a more collective and open mindset that that's what they'll start realizing is the audience will enjoy good performances with what the creative team builds together and provides.
1: Absolutely, I mean, I have yeah. not found that as a problem. If you, if you have an educated audience as a good theater going audience, they'll just go with the story and just say yeah. that's what it is. So I, I don't, I don't uh, find that necessarily an
0: issue. Now, having cast for Broadway, film, and TV, what's the most rewarding moment for you personally in the casting process? Oh, my goodness.
1: (laughs) I mean, each of those disciplines has its own rewards, for Mm -hmm. sure. I think the most exciting thing for me always is when I can bring someone new to the table, when I can illustrate or have the opportunity to to get an actor in that you probably haven't heard of, but who's absolutely magnificent in a role. um, And they just shine. Um, That's the most fun part, really. Uh, You have to put the whole thing together, but when you can really find a new talent Mm. and you find that role and they just knock it out of the park, it's, that's the most exciting thing for me and we've told the story well and yeah. honored the writer
0: yeah amazing all right last question we ask every guest on what's my frame What is one thing you wish you could go back and tell your younger self
1: i that's a really good question because i keep telling myself the same thing <laughs> every day <laughs> i mean i feel like i i guess uh, just Try to be a little more patient, maybe. Um, I always find myself, and I think I referred to it earlier in the, in the, in the podcast, uh, as the little engine that could, and I keep climbing up this ladder. I don't. I'm not one of those people who has five-year goals or five-year plans. I've never done that. I just keep going up the ladder and discovering new things. That's the. That's the really fun part too. It's just discovering all these new things. That's what this the situation we're in right now, I'm hoping will just open up a whole new level of, of creativity in all of us. Yeah. And I, am right now I'm like, well, what's next? What are we going to do next? How are we going to find this, um, this new way of expressing ourselves? Yeah. And, and, um, so I'm not sure I would, I just say be patient because it's a long road. <laughs> Not the for me, it's a long road. But again, it's just keep keep it new, keep it fresh, keep it changing, and don't just keep asking questions. I I have to say one of the things about me is that I am insatiably curious, and I'm always saying, well, who is that, and why is that, and mm-hmm. how is I mean that that goes from when I was a little girl with my dad saying, how does that work, you know. <laughs> And uh, I still do that. How does that work? <laughs> what, what makes that work? And how can I tell that story in, a, in the best way possible? Yeah. Um, and how can I educate or inform or you know help someone enjoy their their situation? More?
0: That's what, that's what I think. Pat, well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. It has been a joy chatting with you. It's same here. It's absolutely been wonderful and. Good luck to everybody.
1: I'm in there. <laughs> We're all going to try to be patient. <laughs> One of my wonderful
0: artistic directors said, see you on the other side. <laughs> that is for sure. I was checking with somebody the other day. I was like, actors have been trained for social distancing our entire careers. We're just hitting our marks. Just hitting on our <laughs> <That's> marks. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. And to my guest today, Pat McCorkle. We hope you enjoy the show. If you'd like to learn more about Pat, you can visit her at McCorkleCasting.com. I'm Laura Linda Bradley, and this is What's My Frame.